In this episode of the podcast, the noted scholar of new religions, Massimo Intravenia, helps us take a look at a group that we knew in prior decades as the Unification Church, but is now known as the Family Federation for World Peace and Unification, a group that recently made the headlines in connection with an individual who assassinated the former Prime Minister of Japan. Dr. Intravenia helps us understand the Korean cultural context, some of its history, recent developments, as well as the related topics of deprogramming and brainwashing. We hope you'll enjoy this episode of the Multi-Faith Matters podcast. This is the Multi-Faith Matters podcast. I'm your host, John Morgan. This is the podcast for Multi-Faith Matters. I'm the host, John Moorhead, and I'm privileged today to have as a return returning guest, I think this is his third appearance on the program, uh, Massimo Intravenia, who is a respected scholar of new religions. So I'll read just a little bit of his bio. You can find more information in the program notes, but uh, Dr. Intravenia is an Italian sociologist, the managing director of the Center for Studies on New Religions in Torino, Italy and the author of some 70 books in the fields of new religious movements and pluralism. Dr. Intravenia, welcome back. Thank you. Well, today we're going to be talking about, uh, it, it used to be known as the Unification Church. Probably a lot of folks still know it by that name, but the uh, current official name is the Family Federation for World Peace and Unification. And this group uh, recently came uh, up in the news, international news, uh, with its connection to or, or mentioned in connection with the assassination of the former prime minister of Japan. And with that, I'll turn it over uh, to you to provide some background and context. Well, I believe the context is Korean uh, uh, Christianity. Uh, Korea is a country where uh, uh, Christianity had a great success, uh, uh, but uh, uh, for reasons perhaps too complicated to uh, explain now, uh, Christianity in Korea came to be dominated by arch-conservative uh, evangelical and fundamentalist uh, Protestants, whose missions were more successful than those of the more mainstream or liberal churches. And uh, this uh, uh, Protestant, uh, mostly American, uh, fundamentalist missionaries tried to create uh, a Christianity as disassociated as possible from any Korean ethnic or traditional element. Actually, they believe that the traditional Korean spirituality was something demonic or coming from the devil. So they uh, tried to purge Christian congregations in Korea from all possible uh, association with Korean traditions. And uh, actually in the 1950s and 1960s, tried many pastors and theologians for heresy. Well, some were liberal and progressive, but some were really accused of uh, incorporating uh, elements coming from uh, 
traditional Korean spirituality, which was liquidated as shamanism, even if things were more complicated than that. So in one way, uh, this uh, takeover of Korean Protestant Christianity by uh, very conservative Presbyterians was successful. But on the other end, uh, it left room for new religious movements uh, uh, which were born in Korea and uh, they uh, incorporated elements of Christianity and elements of uh, Korean traditional uh, spirituality with an attention to miracles and healing and uh, candles and exorcism and so on. So there was a flourishing in Korea uh, of new religious movements, which became uh, uh, even more significant with the Korean War and the uh, uh, displacement uh, of many Christians from North Korea, where Pyongyang was known as the Jerusalem of Asia. It was a city where Christianity has been very successful uh, to the south. And, and many of these displaced uh, uh, persons were in a difficult uh, uh, situation and uh, found the uh, official um, conservative Christianity as too cold for their uh, needs. So what happened is in the 1960s and well started in the 50s, uh, 60s and 70s, uh, the, the Presbyterian uh, and other uh, conservative evangelicals had to battle a number of uh, uh, Korean new Christian or Christian-based new uh, religious movements. And at first, they believed that their uh, great enemy was a group called the Olive Tree. Uh, the Olive Tree at one stage, two million members. Uh, and they successfully since the, the fundamentalist and good relations with Korean authoritarian uh, regimes, uh, they managed to have the founder of the Olive Tree put in jail, and he reacted very badly because he developed a radical theology that uh, Jesus Christ was an imposter and only he was the real Messiah, which not surprisingly uh, led this movement when he came out to jail uh, to lose the most of its uh, members. It still exists, but it's very small, uh, leaving room for other movements. Some of them were founded by people who had been in the huge olive tree. One example is Shinshioji was very much in the news, uh, uh, first because of the COVID, uh, because it was accused of having spread the the COVID uh, inadvertently or advertently, now the Supreme Court uh, has uh, decided with a final decision that Shinshinji did not breach any COVID regulation, but still this stain remains in the mind of uh, many. Anyway, Shinshinji had some uh, 300,000 uh, members. Uh, other groups uh, uh, came from uh, uh, different angles. For instance, uh, one group which is now may well be the largest Christian new religious movement in Korea is called the World Mission Society Church of God and is based in, on the idea 
uh, that uh, the, the, the current leader is a woman called Sanji is the an incarnation of uh, uh, God the Mother. Uh, and uh, that's kind of common in Chinese movements, uh, but now it comes, uh, we discussed the Church of Almighty God, which also has a female uh, incarnation of God, and so does the War Mission Society, Church of God, which claims two million members worldwide, uh, probably something less, but it's a big group, uh, even developed a significant presence in the, in the United States. And other groups uh, came from the constellation of uh, prophetic churches, which were created uh, sometime with teachings most Christians uh, were regarded as heterodox in North Korea. And that's the case of the Unification Church of uh, Reverend Moon. Moon is the last name, uh, Sun Myung, which, uh, like uh, many uh, other pastors uh, uh, came uh, from uh, uh, North Korea. And uh, in North Korea, there was this mushrooming of uh, new religious movements, uh, which when they came to the South, were very controversial because some of them had sexual rituals, meaning you pass the mantle of prophecy uh, through a sexual uh, initiation from one prophet, often female, to another prophet, often male. So uh, all these groups became very uh, controversial and uh, uh, eventually the largest of the North Korean groups uh, transplanted to uh, South Korea uh, became the, the Unification Church of uh, Moon Sumyung. And uh, some of the groups which now are in the news in Korea, again, have been founded by preachers uh, who have had some experience in the Unification Church. One case is Providence, whose leader just last month went to jail for the, or beginning of this month, went to jail for the second time for a very obscure history of sexual abuse. But the leader of Providence, President Hugh, was once a member of the Unification Church, even if he had had uh, experience in other groups, including the Jehovah's Witnesses as well. Now, the interesting question is, uh, why is the Unification Church so famous? Because in Korea proper, the uh, Unification Church uh, is uh, comparatively small, from uh, 50,000 to 100,000 members, which is one-third of Shicheoji uh, uh, and probably one-tenth of the world mission society, Church of God. And then in Korea, there are new religions with... Uh, Taoist or Buddhist, not a Christian matrix like Tezuchilio, with millions of members. So the Unification Church is a comparatively small group in the, uh, in the South Korean uh, panorama. But why is it uh, more famous? Chances are that the audience listening to us today, they may have heard of the Unification Church and Reverend Moon, but they may have never heard of the War Mission Society, Church of God, even if the latter is much bigger, or Tezun Chilio's million of members, but not very well known outside of Korea. Well, I believe there are two reasons for this. 
the first uh, is that Reverend Moon, who died in 2012, during his lifetime, much more than other leaders of Korean new religions, the global view. So he tried to take uh, his movement basically to the whole world, developing uh, missions and uh, uh, also cultural, political, journalistic initiatives in Europe, uh, in South America and in the United States. So that makes him more well known abroad with respect of other leaders who had a larger following in Korea, but uh, much less uh, activity uh, abroad. And the second one is that Reverend Moon and his uh, uh, collaborators uh, uh, among which emerged uh, uh, his wife, uh, or the latest of his wives, because he divorced uh, two times, Hakyahan uh, was still alive, uh, they uh, emerge uh, uh, for being very skilled in doing something all Asian new religions do. I mean, all Asian new religions normally have uh, foundations uh, uh, active uh, in uh, uh, promoting uh, uh, interreligious dialogue, intercultural dialogue, and what they say, war peace. Uh, many movements, uh, Christian and not Christians, have become uh, very skilled in doing this. Uh, for instance, Sokagakai's Buddhist movement uh, in Japan, and he came closer to got a Nobel uh, Prize for its uh, uh, activities against nuclear weapons, which after Hiroshima is something dear to the to Japanese people. And other groups, including Shichonji uh, itself, uh, and even smaller groups such as Taiwan's Shenjiao or the same Tezum Shilie in Korea, they have uh, peace organization, which uh, uh, attract many people because they are capable of producing uh, decently uh, well-organized and good quality conferences. And the Unification Church was extremely skilled in creating something called the Universal Peace Federation. And in their gatherings, uh, they have attracted many politicians, including, uh, for instance, Donald Trump. And uh, uh, I attended for the first time, many scholars went uh, like 30 years ago, I didn't, but after the Abbe assassination crisis, I was very curious uh, to see the reaction of the movement. So for the first time, I attended a Universal Peace Federation gathering last month in August. Yeah. And here you had like New Gingrich, you had Mike Pompeo, uh, you had Paula White, so you had an array of American politicians. Notice this was after the Abe assassination and the international campaign vilifying the Unification Church and its organizations. Uh, but also, you it's not a purely conservative gathering because you had uh, via Zoom. Uh, People like Romano Parodi, the former president of the European Union, is a socialist. And you had even a, a comrade who is the leader of the Maoist Communist Party of Nepal, which happens to be the ruling party in Nepal right now. So there are politicians of different persuasion, even if clearly in the United States since 
his friendship with Richard Nixon and then the closer friendship with uh, Bush, the father, uh, Moon and his wife uh, developed a special relationship with the Republican Party and they don't have uh, such a similar warm relation with the Democrat uh, Party. Uh, but also Reverend Moon was one of the first uh, Asian leaders uh, uh, to be received by Mikhail Gorbachev, and surely one of the very few South Korean cultural leaders uh, to be received by Kim Il-sung. And uh, this memory remains, for instance, uh, uh, both at the gathering I attended of the Universal Peace uh, Federation and in previous gatherings, there were always lavish flowers, enormous. And it comes out, these flowers are always offered by Kim Jong-un, the dictator of North Korea. So the situation is more complicated uh, than it may uh, seem. Uh, but uh, uh, there is a risk uh, that we can be carried out by the political activities of the Unification Church and forget it's primarily a church. So the teaching of Reverend Moon was, uh, uh, which explains why, of course, it's controversial with Christians, uh, is that uh, Jesus didn't manage uh, to complete uh, his mission uh, he did a lot, and is surely a very important figure for the members of the Unification Church, but the original plan was that he should have been married and uh, give an example of a perfect family. Uh, but because of the treason of Judas and uh, uh, the refusal of the uh, milieu uh, to accept him, uh, Jesus could not complete his mission. So uh, now it's needed the second Messiah uh, to take the relay and to complete the part of the mission of uh, uh, Jesus, which was left unfinished and uh, uh, with complicated uh, numerological speculations, which are present in other Korean religious movements, only with different conclusions, obviously, comes out that this second messiah uh, is Reverend Moon himself, or perhaps was. So you need to be united to, to Reverend Moon and uh, his third wife, Hakia uh, Han, because they created the, the perfect family. Reverend Moon admits that he had otherwise didn't work out, but with Hakia Han it worked. So you need... Uh, to be incorporated in this current of uh, uh, salvation. And there are different uh, uh, rituals uh, for doing this, including the blessed marriages. Reverend Moon became very famous with mass marriages, where normally uh, he picked up through photographs uh, uh, who the followers uh, were recommended to marry. They could refuse, of uh, course, but uh, so you will normally match an Italian with Japanese or a Korean with uh, an American. Surprisingly enough, uh, many of these marriages worked out quite well. I know people after 30 years, they are still together and, and quite happy. Now, 
Uh, when I say he was, it's because uh, uh, when Reverend Moon died in 2012, uh, but in fact, uh, uh, some years before he died, when he started having health problems, uh, uh, the movements went through some divisions. So on the one hand, it's important to note that a large majority of the members stayed with uh, Reverend Moon's wife, uh, Hakian Moon, uh, but uh, uh, the eldest surviving son and the youngest surviving uh, son, one called Yun and one called Jung, but the name sounds very much the same, so the elder goes into, under the Western name of Preston, and the younger goes into the uh, Western name of Sean, uh, both they separated from the, the mainstream Unification Church and uh, did their own thing. So now we have the Family Federation for War, Peace and Unification. That's a name already adopted by Reverend Moon before he died, which is the main body and is led by Reverend Moon's widow out of Korea. But uh, then we have something called the Family Peace Association, which is led out of the state of Washington by Preston Moon, the, the uh, eldest son, who has married the, the daughter of uh, one of the main leaders during Moon's time, Reverend Huak. And uh, Reverend Huak is also part of this uh, schismatic uh, organization. And then there is another schismatic organization called the Sanctuary Church uh, or the Rod of Iron, uh, headquartered in Newfoundland, Pennsylvania, not to be confused with Newfoundland in Canada. And uh, this is often in the news because uh, uh, the youngest son of Reverend Moon, Sean Moon, is sort of a right-wing extremist and uh, uh, a great follower of Donald Trump, uh, and often he preaches in military fatigue and he blessed the weapons, uh, is very close to the uh, National Association protecting the right to, to bear arms. Uh, and uh, a brother who, is fo who followed him, uh, Justin Moon, who is uh, another brother, uh, but he has followed him rather than the mother. He inherited from Reverend Moon the, the weapon business. This was an important part, uh, weapon factory of uh, Reverend Moon's business activities. So because of, uh, you go there, I went, you see a lot of guns. It's a favorite of the journalists. Uh, but uh, there are, of course, also theological reasons, because um, if you go to the gathering uh, of uh, uh, the Family Federation, meaning the largest group, you see the theology uh, insisting more and more on the messianic role, not of Reverend Moon, but of Mrs. Moon. So Mrs. Moon also has a messianic role. She has acquired some title, which curiously in part come from Catholic theology about the Virgin Mary, the Immaculate, the uh, only begotten daughter of God. And so clearly there is an insistence on her own uh, messianic role, which uh, 
makes for the criticism by the schismatic groups that it's not the same religion as in the time of Reverend Moon, which has also economic implications, because uh, Preston Moon in particular, he had some of the American assets, doesn't want to surrender to the church in Korea, because it's a different church with a different theology, and I'm more the custodian of the uh, original uh, theology than uh, my mother uh, is. And then there are copyright issues, for instance, uh, uh, Mrs. Moon uh, organization has sued the Sanctuary Church, the gun group in Pennsylvania, because it gives some sort of a bad image to the movement, and so they don't want to use certain terms which are typical uh, of the Unification Church theology. So far, they lost because these terms are hardly uh, copyrightable. But anyway, there are three groups now, but one group, the group of Mrs. Moon, is certainly uh, the largest, and also Preston Moon has his own peace organization, but uh, uh, the, the called the Global Peace uh, Foundation, but the Universal Peace Federation of Mrs. Moon is surely uh, the largest uh, and most visible and most uh, important organization. Oh, that is a fascinating background. I feel like I'm getting a master class on uh, the, the Unification Church and the Family Federation. Thank you for setting that, that broader context and, and history. When we began, we noted that uh, there have been allegations in the media that there was a connection between the individual who assassinated the former prime minister of Japan and the Unification Church. Can you talk about, you've discussed this in your, your publication, Bitter Winter, that we'll put a link in the program notes. Can you, you talk about that connection there? Yeah, the connection is very simple, even if uh, sometimes it becomes obfuscated in the, in the media. Uh, uh, Yamagami Tetsuya, Yamagami is the last name, uh, who assassinated in July in Shinzo Abe, or Abe Shinzo, in Nara, has never been a member of uh, the Unification Church, but his mother is. She is to this very day. Now, 20 years ago, in 2002, uh, the, the Yamagami's mother went legally bankrupt. She had to declare bankruptcy. And the son claims this happened uh, because she uh, gave extravagant uh, donations she could not really afford to the uh, Unification Church. And uh, for this reason, he assassinated Abe. Now, what does Abe have to do with the Unification Church? He's not a member, but both he and Abe's grandfather, who was also prime minister of Japan, they have participated in activities of these auxiliary uh, organizations uh, of the Unification Church, including uh, most recently the Universal Peace Federation. Actually, Abe has not been that prominent. I mean, he sent, uh, he participated via Zoom during COVID to one of these meetings and to another one, he sent a uh, message. So, for instance, Donald Trump has been much more involved than Abe in uh, 
the activities of the Universal Peace Federation, but Yamagami claimed he wanted to assassinate uh, uh, Mrs. Moon, but when, believe it or not, she's more protected than Yamagavan Abe, who is no longer in politics, and so he decided to uh, assassinate uh, Abe. I would say that, in a way, the killer Yamagami has been remarkably successful because uh, he has uh, uh, fueled an outrage not so much against himself but against the Unification Church uh, and, in general, the excessive donations uh, to religious organizations in Japan. So now there is a flourishing of law proposals uh, and uh, uh, at least two governmental commissions to investigate the Unification Church and perhaps to broaden the investigation to other so-called cults or even to mainline Buddhist groups or temples which collects a huge donation. In Japan, this is not totally spontaneous because from many years, Actually, from uh, uh, some uh, 25 years, there is an anti-cult association fighting the unification church, they call it a cult, uh, called the uh, uh, National Network of Lawyers Against Spiritual Sales. And uh, Spiritual Sales was a nickname coined by the media uh, when in the 1980s, members of the Unification Church, uh, they sold jewelry, seals, small pagodas, claiming to bring good luck for uh, prices much higher than their values. These were private companies, but uh, those who operated them were members of Unification Church and donated part of their profit to it. So against these practices, uh, uh, in the year 2000, Japan amended its law and uh, some of the Unification Church connected companies and in reality many others in the business of uh, selling religious goods uh, didn't really respect the law which led to the Korean center of the Unification Church in 2007 compelling the Japanese leader to resign. And uh, uh, after this, uh, uh, they claim that the number of incidents was reduced. Now, uh, the anti-cult lawyer claims this is not true, but statistics uh, uh, released by uh, the Ministry of Consumer Affairs uh, uh, show that uh, the number of incidents of so-called spiritual sales connected with the Unification Church before the uh, Abe assassination uh, uh, was decreasing from 1,000 to like 20 in, in 2021. Now, after the Abe assassination, the government created a hotline to denounce the practice of Unification Church, and this hotline got thousands of phone calls, but admittedly uh, didn't verify them, so we don't know and in some cases, people were telling the stories of 20 or 30 years ago. So uh, it is true that there has been a problem with uh, both spiritual sales and the large uh, donation, but this problem was 
becoming less important uh, before the Abe uh, assassination, not uh, more uh, important. And there is another uh, element of background which is almost never mentioned. And this is the 30-year-old uh, legal fight about deprogramming in Japan. You know, deprogramming was invented in the uh, in United States, and uh, uh, particularly because uh, in the 70s, many college students decided to drop off their colleges and join uh, uh, new religious movements as full-time missionaries. So when they call their parents, say, you know what, rather than becoming a doctor or a lawyer, I will sell uh, flowers in the airports on behalf of the Hare Krishna Unification Church. The parents were very upset. And they were not happy with the theological criticism of their pastors that would not solve their problems. So a gentleman in California whose son had encountered the children of God, uh, called Ted Patrick, still alive, he's very old, invented this technique of kidnapping uh, the members of uh, uh, the so-called cults, detaining uh, them in some secluded facility and bombarding them with negative information about their group until they decided to, to leave it. Uh, now, in the U.S., uh, deprogramming was always controversial, particularly after some deprogrammers were accused of violence or rape. And in the end, the courts of law decided it was not legal, and the same happened in Europe. So by the 21st uh, century, deprogrammers, uh, uh, except for non-democratic countries such as Russia and China, where some took their trade, uh, they could only operate in two democratic countries in the world, that is Japan and uh, South Korea. And in South Korea, it's still going on. In Japan, it was uh, uh, finally declared illegal by the Supreme Court, but that was a few years ago. Uh, in the Toro Goto case. Now, I have interviewed Toro Goto. That's a paradoxical case because uh, he was kept under detention for 12 years. Uh, and when he came out, it was like uh, somebody coming out of a Nazi camp. He, he was a plumb man. He was a skeleton. So he testified in many hearings. And because of the Toro Goto, he was a member of Unification Church, because of the Toro Goto case, finally the Supreme Court uh, decided that deprogramming is illegal even in Japan, even if now there is, of course, in the Abe assassination controversy, somebody say perhaps uh, we should even revisit uh, this decision. So this background is very important because uh, it was not uh, uh, one or two or even 20 the programming where were thousands of cases. It's the only in the world Japan where the deprogrammers also targeted the Jehovah's Witnesses, for uh, example. And uh, most, or, or a good part, I don't know if they are the majority of the 300 members of the National Network of 
lawyers against spiritual sales were the lawyers who defended the, the, the programmers. So after they lost the, the court cases about the programming, they have this new angle or old angle that continues, but now becomes prominent because the programming is illegal to attack the Unification Church and other groups on the angle of uh, uh, donations and uh, and so-called uh, uh, spiritual sales. Now, as I say, uh, there may have been problems with respect to the Unification Church and even other groups of excessive donations. Uh, uh, the Unification Church adopted a policy to give back 50% to those who complained, and that was the case of the, the mother of the Abbess Killer Yamagami. She never complained, but her relatives complained uh, and got 50% back. Uh, but these problems were being solved quietly, contrary to how the, the anti-cultists interpret the statistics. And surely using uh, uh, Abbess killing where the Unification Church is a victim, uh, the assassin also wanted to kill their leader to to call for uh, disbanding the unification uh, church or ban it. Uh, consider that in Japan, uh, Aum Shinrikyo, uh, the group responsible for the terrorist starring gas attack, was compelled to change its name. Now it's called the left, but was never banned. So it seems really an overkill and uh, a sort of a vendetta, uh, which is both a vendetta of certain lawyers, it's a political vendetta against the, the Abbe faction still strong in the ruling uh, uh, party in Japan. And now the connection which were existing, but not so strict, between this faction of uh, the LDP, the Liberal Democrat Party, and the Unification Church are used to get rid of this faction and settle some scores within the Liberal Democrat Party. So uh, again, I believe that uh, uh, there may have been some problems in the, the matter of excessive uh, donations, but uh, uh, on the other hand, uh, uh, banning or liquidating the Unification Church, in this case the Family Federation uh, in Japan, is surely something against uh, the, the international principles of religious liberty, uh, something I certainly uh, do not agree with. Can you say a little bit about a concept related to deprogramming, the, the idea of brainwashing? As you know, the Unification Church was one of uh, several mm -hmm. groups that were accused of that. You have Eileen Barker's great work uh, debunking that. And you still have folks like Steve Hassan, a former Unification Church member now. Uh, uh, yeah, he you know does work. He presents himself as a cult expert. Can you talk about that concept and and how scholars have wrestled with it and is the unification search are those allegations still made or is that largely uh, a problem from prior decades uh they are still made in uh, countries like japan and uh, france who has a law against uh, uh, manipulation by cults uh, and uh, there are in fact proposals to bring the french law to uh, japan 
despite the fact that uh, enforcing it has proved very problematic in uh, France. Uh, I have a, a new small book published by Cambridge University Press, brainwashing a couple of months ago, and uh, basically brainwashing uh, uh, is a word coined by the CIA during the, the Cold War. They claimed they translated it from Chinese see now, but see now uh, is more like coercive persuasion. So brainwashing really comes uh, uh, from the sentence they wash your brain clean, which is part of uh, Orwell's novel um, 1984. So uh, Orwell was describing a uh, imaginary country model after Stalin's Soviet Union. So the, the war was coined by one Edward Hunter, who was a CIA agent who had a cover work as a journalist, Miami Daily Herald, and was used in its, uh, I would say, first decade of existence, uh, almost only to describe something that the bad uh, uh, Chinese communist and Soviet communist did to people to convert them to uh, communism. And uh, then uh, in, uh, in the United Kingdom, psychiatrist called William Saragant was a famous psychiatrist. He was the president of the World Organization of Psychiatrists, wrote a famous book, A Battle for the Mind, uh, where he argued that the brainwashing had not been invented by the communists, but they borrow it from religion. And uh, he didn't mean cults, he meant mainline religion. And the two examples he gave were uh, the Jesuits and the Methodists. But he also mentioned the Salvation Army, and in the end he said that if we read as modern uh, psychiatrists, the story of the conversion of St. Paul, uh, it, it's clear that Paul the Apostle uh, uh, didn't see Jesus or fell from a horse. He was brainwashed uh, by the other, uh, by, by the Christians. So uh, he really, he was a kind of anti-religious man who would only say uh, old paganism he kind of liked. But... Uh, uh, of course, his his book sold well, but his theory was not very successful because, uh, uh, of course, many people wouldn't believe that Christianity is evil. So it's uh, another generation of psychiatrists or clinical psychologists uh, built on the work of uh, uh, Sargent, and the main name was Margaret Singer in the United States and say that in reality brainwashing is not used by all religions but only by some religions which should be called cults. Actually this is why we call them cults. Cults convert through brainwashing and religion convert by inviting you to use your free will or your mind. And uh, so the, the modern theory of brainwashing was built which used some pieces of uh, the research of people like Robert J. Lifton, coercive conversion in China, but less than people like 
Singer claimed because uh, Lifton is still alive again. Lifton doesn't like religion in general, cults in particular, but Lifton studied something different, uh, which was uh, happened in Chinese jails with the use of torture and drugs uh, uh, and uh, beating people. And that's not what the Unification Church is accused of of doing, or Scientology for that matter is accused of doing. So this idea was there is this uh, sort of very effective technique of, uh, of uh, changing uh, the mind of the people some cults uh, use. And uh, in fact, that makes them cults. And this theory became very successful, particularly after some uh, shocking events like the mass suicides and homicides of the People's Temple in Guyana. And in Europe, the same role was played by the order of the Solar Temple in Japan by the terrorist attacks of uh, Shinrikyo, because these events were difficult to understand. In Europe, in particular, the order of the Solar Temple was a group of rich people. So you could not even explain it. These are desperate, marginal people. So brainwashing became popular, was even legislated against in uh, France. Uh, but then uh, starting uh, already uh, from the book by Eileen Barker, 1984, about the Unification Church, the making of a Mooney, uh, it was deconstructed mostly through statistical work, <clears throat> showing that... Uh, out of 100 people who went to a weekend seminar of the Unification Church, so in theory were subject to brainwashing, only two or three converted, and perhaps only one was still uh, a member of the Unification Church after five years. So the percentages are, are very low. And uh, uh, while it is true, of course, that the neo-religious movements like the old religions always try to, to develop uh, methods to, to persuade people to, to join. Uh, there is nothing uh, magical or irresistible in new religious movements that uh, explain the conversion. And this mistake, uh, I would add, has been done before because uh, many believe that the success of the Jehovah's Witnesses was done to their door-to-door sales technique, and they were even studied by secular companies like Avon Cosmetics. But in fact, now we know that the door-to-door of the Jehovah's Witnesses was never very effective. And now it is being almost abandoned that they do uh, place tents in the streets uh, uh, because most of the people converting to the Jehovah's Witnesses and other they convert because of personal relations, which is the the way people normally switch uh, religion. So the door-to-door uh, in the Jehovah's Witnesses was much more significant to motivate those who were already Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, it was like a crash course because they had to explain uh, uh, to largely uninterested uh, people their religion, so they became better Jehovah's Witnesses, but they didn't uh, uh, have any magical uh, technique to convert people. So 
uh, that mistake, as I say, was made before. Unification Church uh, also was never very successful in getting high numbers of converts. Uh, they had motivated converts, very dedicated people, but the numbers were never uh, very spectacular. So they did the, all the story uh, of brainwashing. I believe it has been debunked by scholars of new religious movement, but uh, it's still very popular in the media because it's a quick fix. Uh, for instance, uh, brainwashing, as I note in my Cambridge UP work, uh, now gained a new popularity as an explanation of why Americans support Donald Trump, because uh, for many good uh, American liberals or Democrats, it's uh, very difficult to understand why normal people can support uh, uh, Donald Trump. And so st you mentioned Steve Sun. Steve Sun is a deprogrammed Mooney who turned uh, deprogrammed. Uh, I know Moon is a derogatory word I normally do not use, but he uses it. Uh, and then uh, as an adult or almost an old man, he got a PhD, I believe, two years ago, finally. And uh, he uh, styles himself a cult expert, uh, but nothing is more similar to the analysis of a cult by Steve Sun than another analysis of another cult by Steve Sun, because uh, uh, it doesn't matter whether it is Scientology or Falun Gong, he has been consulted by the Chinese or the Unification Church, they are all the same. They use uh, uh, brainwashing uh, at the service of a uh, manipulative and exploitative leader. So uh, there is really no effort to, to study the context, uh, uh, the theology, uh, why one group is successful and another is not, because uh, the brainwashing explanation is, uh, as I say, it's a quick fix, uh, and that's uh, why it's successful with the media, because uh, to understand phenomena like the Unification Church, or for that matter, why notwithstanding the enormous persecution, Church of Almighty God, we discussed in another uh, podcast, is successful in China. It is very complicated. I mean, the Chinese Communist Party invests a lot of money in trying to understand why they do not succeed in eradicating the Church of Almighty God or Falun Gong, but uh, the, the explanation of uh, brainwashing, of course, is very simple. They have this uh, um, technique uh, which is magical of brainwashing. Now, deprogramming was a counter-brainwashing. If you have been brainwashed, you need uh, the same but contrary pressure to be exerted uh, on you through uh, deprogramming. And uh, deprogramming uh, didn't work in most of the cases because uh, thousands of people went through deprogramming and were not deprogrammed. They are still with their religious movements to this very day. In some cases, and uh, Hassan, for instance, always uses the example of himself, the programming did work, but I would say it did work if people perhaps already had some doubts or were in a way uh, not excluding uh, 
the possibility of leaving their uh, former uh, religious movement. But uh, uh, Korea and Japan are quite spectacular cases because, uh, for instance, in Korea, Xi Jinping has collected uh, statements by four or five thousand people who were deprogrammed in some cases uh, horribly beaten at least in one case uh, the deprogrammee died which led to uh, great street protests in korea in 2018 and uh, all these people who signed statements uh, they are still members of shinchonji so. and there are similar stories in the uh, unification church there is a story of a girl who, uh, in Japan, who accused the programmer of having raped her. It's true when uh, uh, she got scared of the consequences of the trial and she withdrew uh, her uh, statement. But the father who had hired the programmer went into a depression and ended up committing suicide. So there are many tragical uh, stories. And uh, I believe even some former deprogrammers uh, now would agree with me that deprogramming was never the, the solution to these problems. Well, Dr. Intravenia, this, as always, has been a fascinating conversation. You've taken a, a group that a lot of Christians think they know uh, from prior decades and uh, helped us understand it, uh, its context and its history and how it's uh, playing out in current events. Uh, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast and sharing your expertise. Thank you. Thank you. Again, this is the podcast of Multi-Faith Matters. Look in the program notes for more information on Dr. Intravenia's work. I'll link to uh, the books that he's mentioned in our conversation here. And at the end, a link to our prior conversations that we've had in the podcast. Thanks to all my uh, viewers and listeners. Until the next episode. Thank you.